Father, thank you so much for your great love and grace for each of us. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it is a light, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you, Lord, that we can hide your word in our heart that we might not sin against you. Thank you, Father, that our faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Tonight, as we dive into chapter 29 and in the book of Deuteronomy, I just pray for your spirit to be our guide. That you, Lord, would speak to us, that yours would be the voice that we hear. May you be glorified in this time, in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight, I'm sorry, I've got the sniffles, I can't help it. I, I apologize to everyone in advance, there will be many sniffles throughout the, the message. Tonight, God is going to renew the covenant with the people. This was established on Mount Sinai after God brought them out of Egypt. They failed to enter the land and had to walk around the desert for 40 years, as we all know. Now they're about to enter the land. And even though God knows they will fail again to keep the covenant, he is going to reestablish the covenant with the people tonight, which is where we pick up in chapter 29. Now the tissues, instead of being six feet away or three feet away, it's much better. Just giving you grief. Thankfully, we have a new covenant in Jesus Christ, which is so different from the old covenant. The old covenant was predicated upon the faithfulness of the people to fulfill the commandments of God. The new covenant is established on what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. This covenant cannot be broken because it is based on God's faithfulness and not our own. We still study the old because Galatians tells us that the law is a tutor that leads us to Christ. So let's be led closer to Christ tonight. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which he made with them in Oreb. Now Moses called all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and all his servants and to all his land. The great trials which your eyes have seen the signs and those great wonders, yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day. And I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out to you and your sandals have not worn off your feet, worn, or sorry, worn out on your feet. You have not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or similar drink, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. And when you come to this place, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, came out against us to battle, and we conquered them. We took their land and gave it as an inheritance to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant, and do them, that you may prosper in all you do. So essentially, he's reminding the people that he's renewing this covenant, reminds them of all he had done for them, as he took them out of the land of Egypt, uh, everything he did to Pharaoh, to his servants, all the great trials that they had seen, and then the signs and the great wonders. Verse 4 says, Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive or understand, and eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day. We were talking about this earlier. Um, illumination of the Holy Spirit is so vital to us. Two people can sit next to each other, and one will hear as the Holy Spirit works in their heart, and the other one will not because they are rejecting the work of the Spirit to give them an ear to hear. 
John 16, 13 through 15 says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. In 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 12, we're reminded that spiritual things are spiritually discerned by the Holy Spirit in us. And here's the reality of it. I think God wants me to get this. I actually forgot that this was in here until I was looking through my notes this afternoon after our meeting. And I was like, huh. I mean, I looked at my notes yesterday, so I'd forgotten since then because I'm old. Then this morning, as I was reading my devotion, I was in John 16, my, my personal devotion time. And so the Lord put it on my heart. We talked about it at our elders meeting this afternoon. I think God wants us to understand that the things of God are spiritually discerned. That's what he's telling them. Now, the Israelites, man, they had a lot less understanding than we do. Because we have the gift of hindsight. We have, from this point in time, 2,500 years of human history that we can look back on see how it lines up with scripture, see how prophecy was fulfilled. They didn't have that. All they had was what we've read up to this point, written down for them, that they were, because scrolls were so expensive, that they would only get to read, as we talked about, did we talk about it last week, or are we talking about it this week? Man. That they had, yeah, we're going to read it tonight, that they were to read the law every seven years, but you have to imagine that. They didn't have Bibles at home. They didn't have scrolls. Once every seven years during the year of release at a specific feast, they got to hear the word of God. That was all they got. You know, so when God says, you don't have the heart to perceive, eyes to see and ears to hear, but you only got to read the Bible every seven years, that would definitely be a little harder to understand, plus all the stuff that we have that they don't, like the rest of Scripture. But the point is, whatever you have, whatever it is you're reading, however much it is you're looking into, without the Spirit of God, this book doesn't make a lot of sense to most people. And you can look at it from an academic standpoint. You could look at it from a literary standpoint. But it's not going to make any sense to you until the Holy Spirit of God illuminates it for you. So for 40 years, they walked, their sandals and clothes did not wear out because of God's faithfulness. This is so they could know that God is the Lord. And I like that. I want to go 40 years without buying shoes and new clothes. I buy new shoes like every six months. I would love to be able to go longer than that. Mostly my workout shoes because I wear them out so fast. But this shows God's faithfulness. He provided in an impossible way. Anybody here have a pair of shoes that's lasted 40 years? Never been resold or never been fixed? You do have a pair of shoes that's about 20, 21 years old. I bought them for her. Doc Martens lasted 21 years. 
I haven't heard Doc Martin say last week about peace. But that's just the, the miraculous faithfulness of God. And he tells them, therefore keep the words of this covenant in verse 9 and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. Romans 2.13 says, for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. That's why James 1 told us to be, here, to be not hearers of the law only, but to be doers of the law. We're going we're gonna to dive into that heavy in James this Sunday. Verse 10. All of you stand today before the Lord your God, your leaders and your tribes and your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, the stranger who is in your camp, the one who cuts your wood and the one who draws the water, that you may enter into covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath, which the Lord your God makes with you today, that he may establish you today as a people for himself and that he may be God to you just as he has spoken to you and just as he has sworn to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And make this covenant and this oath not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us, today before the Lord our God, as well as with him who is not here with us today. For you know that we dwelt in the land of Egypt and that we came through the nations which you passed by. And you saw their abominations, their idols that were among them, wood and stone and silver and gold. So that there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations. And that there may not be among you a root bearing bitterness or wormwood. And so it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. The gist of this the covenant is for everyone. Men, women, children, strangers, servants, from the top of the food chain all the way down to the person who goes out and fetches you a bucket of water in the morning. The covenant is for everyone. He said, you passed through all these lands, you saw all these abominations. None of you should get involved in any of this. Man, woman, family, or tribe. So there's no root-bearing bitterness. So imagine this. God says, if you obey my commands and follow me, I will bless you. We talked about all those blessings and curses last week. If you don't follow my commands, I'll curse you. So now you have a person who goes and serves a false god. The consequences come upon that person, the consequences that God warned them about ahead of time. And then they get bitter towards God. You ever heard someone do that? Why would God allow this? I'm a good person. As soon as somebody says that, I know it's off. They're, they're out in left field. If God loved me, why would he let these things happen? I didn't do anything to deserve it. Our choices have consequences. One of my favorite I've seen it on signs in different places. Everything happens for a reason. Sometimes that reason is you're stupid and make bad decisions. I've met with people. Uh, I don't know. I, I met, I, I had a, this was years ago. I don't know why my wife's leaving me. 
right? And I'd been counseling the couple. Well, he'd hit her on several occasions. He'd cheated on her on multiple occasions. He was verbally and emotionally abusive. And I looked at him, I'm like, really? I'm, I know, do you, want me to, do you want me to clue you in? Well, I mean, I, I know I've made mistakes, but like, this, it's not a, this is beyond mistakes. Mistakes is picking up the wrong, you know, something at the store. That's a mistake. You went so far beyond a mistake. Anyways, that's what he's talking about. And he goes, so when it happens, and the words of this curse come on yourself, that he blesses himself in his heart, I shall have peace, even though I follow the dictates of my heart, as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. This idea here is what we see today. You know, I can do whatever I want as long as I'm basically a good person. I'll probably go to heaven. How dare you judge me? How dare you tell me not to have sex with everybody and, and you know, watch pornography? Or how dare you tell me that drugs are bad for me? Or how dare you tell me that I can't have a same-sex relationship? Or how dare you tell me, right? We could, I, there's a long list. It could be a really long list. How dare you call me he? I'm clearly a woman. The beard, dude. The beard is giving you away. Saw some guy on TV, full-on beard, long hair and a dress, insisting that he was a woman. At the very least, I'm just throwing this out there for anybody listening, shave your beard. If you want people to believe you're a woman, at least shave your beard. Throwing it out there for anybody who wishes to, you know, heed my advice. But what do they say? Well, I just, I, this is my path. This is my truth. This is my way. And, and you know what? You do you and I'll do me. Uh-uh. It's not how this works. You know, and I know I'm really preaching to the choir with the group that's in here tonight, but I'm also recording it and there's people that are probably on Facebook unless my phone shuts off again. Facebook might get mad at me for this one. Hi, Facebook. But the reality is God has shown us the way. God made them male and female. God has given us guidelines, rules, laws, restrictions. You call them whatever you want. But he did it for our protection. He didn't do it because he wanted to take all the fun out of life. He didn't do it because he dislikes us and thought it would be funny to watch us struggle. He did it because he loves us and he wants to protect us from those things which would harm us. And there's people in the world who think they can ignore the word of God and live without consequences. And that doesn't work. That's, that's not how it works. Let's pray. The Lord would not spare him, for then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy would burn against that man, and every curse that is written in this book would settle on him, and the Lord would blot out his name from under heaven. So that's what happens. You think you're fine? You think you can do whatever you want? You think you can ignore God, be disobedient to your heart's content, and everything will be okay? Well, it says right here, the Lord won't spare that person. 
the anger of the Lord and the jealousy of the Lord would burn against that man, every curse written in the book would settle on him. Remember the end of the book of Revelation. If anyone takes anything away from this book, I'll take their name out of the book of life. If anyone adds anything to this book, I will add to them all the curses contained therein. I've read the Bible cover to cover on multiple occasions. There's a lot of curses. I do not want all of those upon me. I don't want any of them upon me. Verse 21, And the Lord would separate him from all the tribes of Israel for adversity, according to all the curses of the covenant that are written in the book of the law, so that the coming generation of your children who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a far land would say when they see the plagues of that land and the sicknesses which the Lord has laid on it, the whole land is brimstone, salt, and burning. It is not sown, nor does it bear, nor does any grass grow there, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah. Adma in Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and his wrath. All nations would say, why has the Lord done so to this land? Why does the heart of this great, what does the heat of this great anger mean? Then people would say, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord, God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt, for they went and served other gods and worshipped them. Gods that they did not know and that he had not given to them. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against the land to bring on it every curse that is written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from the land in anger and wrath and in great indignation and cast them into another land as it is this day. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. So this is what it boils down to. People will come into the land after Israel is disobedient. People will see that nothing's growing, there's no grass, there's no harvest, and they'll say, what, what happened here? And the response will be, we broke the covenant with God. Now, aren't you happy that the new covenant is not based on us? <coughs> I know I am. Amen. The new covenant is not based on us. But very simply, the curses will come for this disobedience, the consequences for not following the word of God. Now, verse 29, I think, is so interesting. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. You see, there are simply things we don't know. My favorite example, the return of Christ. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. If I say I believe Jesus is coming back soon, well, that's because I'm 45 years old. What if I have another 45 years? I tell you what, the first 45 went by pretty quick. If I have 45 more, it's going to seem soon. What if the trumpet sounds and we all go home right now? It never works. Right? What if... On the way home, uh, a deer jumps on the hood of our car and his antlers go through the windshield and impale me. It is dramatic, but we don't know. Soon. Soon. I might go home, I might lay down tonight, and God might say, oh, you're done. Might not wake up tomorrow. I'm so sorry. You'll wake up next to a cold fat guy. <laughs> right? 
But what, I don't know. There's no place in the Bible that, you know, there's no first Jason that says Jason will live 92 years or 83 years or 46 for that matter. I don't know. So whether the trumpet sounds, whether the antlers come through the windshield, whether I have a heart attack in my sleep, whether, I, I don't know. Soon. One way or the other, he's coming back for me. But I don't know when. Well, you know what? I, I don't know what heaven's going to look like. It's going to be awesome. I know that. Streets of gold, gates made out of pearls. I really hope we get to see the clam that the pearls came from. <laughs> right? I mean, all kinds of stuff. Trees that give their fruit in season. Well, what kind of fruit? Will one of those fruits be chicken fried steak? I don't know. We, there's things we don't know. But there's things we do know. There are things that God has told us. These things that he has told us, he has revealed to us clearly in his word. And we are responsible for what we know. We are responsible for what's been given to us as we follow Jesus. And this is interesting. I, uh, I work, uh, man, I promise we're going to get through the other two chapters, maybe. Anybody in a hurry tonight? You know, I, I work with um, an online missions organization where basically I answer emails from various contacts around the world where they've seen a gospel presentation somewhere. Maybe Facebook, maybe YouTube, maybe one of the websites that we have out there in multiple different languages. Little plus sign at the bottom of my screen that I can take a new contact. So every day I log in, I see if anybody's written me back and I respond to anybody who's written me back. And then I click the little plus sign to get a new contact. Today I got a, uh, a person, and I can't use their name or anything like that. That would be wrong. But I got a person who basically, their, their question was, so they had visited one of the websites we have that presents the gospel, and they wrote, what do you want? Well, that's an easy question. So I wrote back. I said, I want you to know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Shared the gospel with him, shared a bunch of websites with him, various resources where he could download a Bible and all this. And I got a notification later in the day uh, that he had written me back. I was like, oh, so I, I logged in to go look at what he'd written. He said, I'm a Muslim. Please don't contact me again. So I stopped. I prayed for the guy. I closed out the, the conversation because I don't know where he's at. He may be in a Muslim country and having the gospel in his email could cost him his life. But then I started thinking, he heard the gospel. And so I prayed. I said, Lord, whatever seed was planted, whatever seed was watered, use it to draw this person to yourself. But then a very dark thought entered my mind. He's heard the gospel. Now he's responsible for what he knows. He knows the truth. He knows that Jesus is the son of God who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the grave. He knows that truth, chose to reject it, at least in the email, and if he doesn't change his mind, he's responsible for that truth come judgment day. That hurt a little bit. That was, that was hard for me to think about. But that's the reality. We're all the same. Everything we've talked about tonight, you are responsible for. If you've never read it or heard it before, everything we'll talk about as we move forward, we're all responsible for it, for what's in this book.
And then the Bible is nice enough to say in, in James chapter 3, verse 1, let not many of you become teachers, for you'll receive the stricter judgment. Yay me. That's why I'm so careful. I really try to be. I can be wrong about a lot of things in life. And I have been wrong about a lot of things in life. The one thing I don't want to get wrong is what the Bible teaches us. I don't want to get that wrong. Chapter 30. Now it shall come to pass, when all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice, according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul. And the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity. They hadn't gone into captivity yet. He's predicting that they would. And I'll have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you were driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. And he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Also, the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecute you. And you will again obey the voice of the Lord to do all his commandments, which I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of the, your hands, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, Keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law. And if you return to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. I think there's one word that can sum up these ten verses. Repentance. Repentance is the key. Returning to God with our whole heart, with our whole soul, leads to God having compassion on us. Now this, of course will take place. They will rebel. They'll be driven away to other lands. And then as you get into books like Nehemiah and Ezra, you find the people repenting and God bringing them back to the land. Now he does talk about, very interestingly, oh, wait, let me finish my thought on repentance. I skipped something. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Peter's first sermon was part of his first sermon uh, to the people of Jerusalem after the day of Pentecost. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's exactly what this describes. You're going to be driven away to another land. You're going to serve foreign gods. But the day is going to come when you repent. When you return to me with all your heart and with all your soul, and I'll forgive you, and times of refreshing will come as he brings them back. Now, he does talk about gathering the elect. And gathering the elect is very interesting to me because Jesus talked about gathering the elect in Matthew 24, 31, which is part of what we call the Olivet Discourse. Matthew 24, 25 is the Olivet Discourse. It's Jesus' teaching on end times. 
In Matthew 24, 31, he says, and he will send his angels with a great sound of the trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now, some believe that prophecy is speaking of the church. However, this is speaking of the gathering of the elect in Israel. And it has begun, which is very cool, right? Israel exists. There are Jewish people there right now. And there are more Jewish people going there every year. So it's begun. But will not be completely fulfilled until Jesus returns. There are plenty of other passages that teach us. Read Romans 9, 10, and 11. It's amazing. Uh, the, this interpretation of Jesus' words is confirmed in Isaiah 11, verse 12. Very cool. Uh, so the gathering of the elect that Jesus is speaking about is the Jews. Now, don't worry. There's plenty of other passages in the Bible that talk about what's going to happen to us as the church. But during the tribulation, the Jews will be gathered back to the land. And Romans tells us that salvation will come to Israel. Uh, very cool day. Then he talks about circumcision of the heart, which is very interesting again. I'm using that word very interesting a lot. Romans 2.29 says, He is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Why circumcise the heart? What does that mean? Well, circumcision was always meant as a sign. It was an outward sign that represented the cutting away of the flesh. And it was symbolic of a person leaving behind their old life and now having a new life. We use a similar symbolism in baptism. Baptism doesn't save us, doesn't actually wash away our sins. The blood of Christ does that. But baptism is a picture. In Scripture, we are, we die with Christ, we're buried with Christ, and then we're risen with Christ. That's the inward reality of what happens to us when we get saved. Baptism is a picture of that. You go under the water is a picture of your death and burial. Come back up out of the water is a picture of your resurrection. It's an outward sign. Now, let me ask you a question. Well, I'll tell you a story. Did you guys hear about the, uh, was, I think the guy was in Arizona. He was a Catholic priest who for 20-some years had been baptizing people wrong. Anybody hear about this guy? According to Catholic doctrine, not in the Bible, the Bible says baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Baptize people in the name of the Lord Jesus. Does it matter? I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's usually what I say. What if someone says, I baptize you in the name of Jesus? Does that baptism still count? Sure it does. What if it says, I'm going to dunk you under the water because you're saved now. Woohoo! Does that count? Right, Because it's the heart that matters. It's the heart that matters. If that person's saved, their baptism has nothing to do with whether or not they're saved. Their baptism is just a picture of it. Thief on the cross, did he get baptized the proper way? Did he go to church? Did he tithe? Did he speak in tongues? Did he do anything? No. You know what he did? Lord, remember me when you come into my kingdom. Assuredly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. And then the dude died. And guess what? He was in paradise. 
because he placed his faith in Christ. That's what saving is. So this Catholic priest, according to Catholic doctrine, they have to say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Catholic Church teaches, which is very wrong, this is not in the Bible, teaches that you have to be baptized by a priest in a Catholic Church in order to go to heaven. Right? We all know that's incorrect. So this poor priest, he was saying, because he wanted to include the congregation, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he would sprinkle the child or whoever he was baptizing. So the Catholic Church found out about this, asked him how long he'd been doing it, and they said, all of these baptisms are void. None of these people are going to heaven. What? That's not how it works. That's not how it works. If that was how it worked, that's how Jesus would have done it. But Jesus didn't do it that way. Jesus didn't teach us that. Nothing in the New Testament teaches us that. In fact, we're taught in places like 1 Peter the opposite. That baptism is not the washing away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. It's a sign of obedience. It has nothing to do with our salvation. And that's exactly what outward signs are. They're good. But it doesn't mean anything if the heart isn't changed. It doesn't mean anything if the soul isn't converted through faith in Jesus Christ. Hosea, interestingly enough, there's your homework. Go home and read the book of Hosea. It's a great little book. There's a picture of the nation of Israel playing the harlot with other gods and then God restoring them to himself. He made Hosea marry a prostitute. She left him. And then God said, go get her. So he went and got her, brought her home, cleaned her up, right? And God had a lot of great things to say about her. Uh, I I encourage you, do that that for homework. Read the book of Hosea. Uh, Don't wait till we get there because it could be a very long time. Verse 11. Verse 11. For the commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. And salvation, very simply, is closer than most people realize. People think they're too far from God to come back. But it doesn't matter how far a person runs from God. It only takes one step back. And that's confessing Jesus Christ as Savior and believing in your heart. Uh, Paul quotes this in Romans 10.8. He uses this in his message to the people in Athens in Acts 17.27 and 28. Because the fact is, he's, he's not far from us. That's part of the advantage he has of being omnipresent. He's everywhere, all at the same time. Verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away, So that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. 
I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice and that you may cling to him. For he is your life and the length of your days and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them. I love this verse. I set before you today life, death, blessing, and cursing. Choose life. Everyone says, the, not everyone, that's a, that's a hasty generalization. A lot of people like to say that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are different. Which doesn't make any sense to me. When you read the whole Bible, it makes sense that it's the same God. The God of the Old Testament gave them the same choice that he gives us. Choose life and blessing or choose death and cursing. How can a good God send people to hell? He doesn't. It's our choice. We can choose to receive Christ as Savior and spend eternity with him or we can choose to reject Christ as Savior and spend eternity condemned with, without him. It's the same offer he's making here. Choose life that you may live. I don't understand why people reject it. Boggles my mind. Boggles my mind. How do we have life and good? Love the Lord. Walk in his ways. Keep his commandments. Cling to him. For he is our life. He is our life. Book of Hebrews calls Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. He is our creator, our sustainer, our redeemer. He's everything. Chapter 31. Verse 1. Then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. Now, some people suggest that it was actually Moses' birthday when he said this. I don't know. Maybe, I mean, if you ask me how old are you? Well, today I'm 45, I'm, I'm 45 right now, right? Maybe that's all he was saying. Maybe it wasn't his birthday. Maybe it was. Either way, I can no longer go out and come in. Also, the Lord has said to me, you should not cross over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites in their land, when he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you, that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage. For you must go with this people to the land the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give to them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. So Moses, at 120 years old, reminds them that he can't take them into the land. He tells Joshua twice, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid for the Lord your God. He is the one who goes with you. He won't leave you or forsake you. You know, that is a promise that we need to cling to as followers of Christ, especially in this day and age, right? The, the world is 
I, I mean, I bet if you could look at it far enough from space, it would look like it was wobbling out of control. Right? It ain't spinning right anymore. And it might feel like things are out of control. It might feel like we, we don't, do we have a future? Do we have a hope? Do we have stuff to look forward to? You know, what happens if another war breaks out? A full scale, not just two countries. What happens if a full-on war in Europe breaks out? How long before that affects us? Not long at all. You know, we're, we're watching, you guys already know. Right now, our world is a mess. And God is telling us, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The great commission that we were given doesn't change. Say the nukes fly tomorrow. Say we wake up in the morning and we're all a little tanner. Right? Yeah, we're all glowing. We don't need lights anymore because there wouldn't be any electricity anyway, but that's okay. We can read our Bibles by the glow of our irradiated bodies. Does that change our mission? Does that change what God has called us to do? Oh, it might look a little bit different, but it will not change a thing. Our job is the same. And so God says, I'll tell you what. Yeah, you're up against it. You're going up against nations that are bigger than you, against people that are bigger than you, against cities that are walled and protected. Be strong. Have good courage. Don't be afraid. I'm going to go with you, and I'm never going to leave you. Oh, hallelujah. That's the promise. You know what? That's the promise when you go to war. That's the promise when you go to the mission field. That's the promise when you go to Walmart, which may be a little more frightening than the other two. just depends on the day. Came across a post that I put on Facebook. It was like 10 years ago. And it said, there's a winter weather warning, folks. So Walmart has issued a decree that you should wear two pairs of pajama pants when you go shopping. <laughs> oh, so much. Now, there's also some very interesting typology here. Moses represents the law. He always has and he always will. Right? When Jesus went on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, Moses and Elijah appeared. Why? Moses represented the law. Elijah represented the prophets. Jesus represents the new covenant. The law and the prophets is what we think of as what comprises the whole of the Old Testament. Jesus, the new. Right? So all of it represented in one place. Moses represents the law. But he can't take them in. Because the law, well, it can point us in the right direction, but it can't save us. We're told over and over again in the Bible. Galatians 2, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Multiple places. We need Jesus' love and grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to bring us into the salvation God offers. And this goes a step further. Anybody know what Joshua's name is? Jehovah Shua, or Yehovah Shua. God is salvation. Joshua is how we say it in English. In Greek, it's Jesus. In English, it's Jesus. We call Jesus Jesus because we derived it from the Greek. Jesus' name 
as he walked around Jerusalem and ministered was Joshua. A lot of people named their kids Joshua back then. <laughs> but because we got our New Testament, at least part of it, at some point in time, was translated from Greek. Oh, well, that was dumb. All of it was translated from Greek. But the Hebrew went into the Greek first, so the Hebrew names became Greek names when they came into English from the Greek. It sounds different. But if you call him Joshua, or you call him Jehovah Shua, or you call him Jesus, or Yeshua, or whatever you want to call him, he knows who you're talking about. Joshua was the one that led them in. Joshua was the one that brought them into salvation. It's the same for us with Jesus. In Romans 7 and 8, we see the transition from being bound to sin to finding victory and freedom in Christ. The law can't bring us into that. Only Jesus can by the power of his Holy Spirit. Verse 9. So Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men, women, little ones, stranger who is within your gates. They may hear and they may learn to fear the Lord your God. And carefully observe all the words of this law, and that their children, who have not known it, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. I can only imagine how exciting this would be. You're 10 years old. So the last time the law was read, you were three. You don't remember. Maybe you even stayed at home with mom while dad traveled up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. And so dad heard the word. Maybe your older brother went. You know, maybe he was eight. And so seven years go by. Now your older brother's 15, and you're 10, and you say, oh, you, you, I remember. We stood out there, and we listened, and the priest read all the words of the law. And we said amen, and we, we heard about where the sacrifices came from, and we learned about how God used Moses to part the Red Sea and deliver the children of Israel from, from Egypt, and we learned about Abraham, and we learned about Isaac, and He's telling his brother all this. And so now his brother, he gets so excited. And he gets to go up and it's the Feast of Tabernacles. And dad says, stand up, boy. Why? Because they're going to read the law. And then they would stand and they would listen to the five books we've spent the last, well, going on a year and three months studying. They would listen to it all read, top to bottom. Actually, right to left. It was in Hebrew. But still, how exciting would that have been? I highly recommend that you read the whole Bible. I don't think you should do it every seven years. Uh, maybe, maybe pick up the pace a little bit. What you really shouldn't do is do the Bible plan on you version that says read the Bible in a year. Have you ever looked at one of those? It's like eight chapters a day. And, and, and so maybe you could do it, but by the time you're done, you're not going to get anything out of it. First time I read the whole Bible, I did it in like nine months. I'd just gotten saved. We got married. I got my very first Bible. It was an NIV. It's in my office. Still in my, I, have, I still have it. All the highlights are still in there because they don't go anywhere. Um, but I was, I was like, I want to read, I want to read the whole Bible. I want to read the whole Bible. And so I would, I would read eight, 10, 12 chapters a day. I just, I plowed through it. And I got to the end and I was like, I read the whole Bible. I have no idea what it says. <laughs> you right? I went through it so fast, it was, it was meaningless. Now I take a couple years to do it, give or take. Um, and I read, the new, I read both the old and the new simultaneously. 
couple chapters from the old, one chapter from the new. Uh, gets me through the whole Bible about every two years. Uh, gets me through the New Testament usually three times in that two years. I don't care how you do it. We're told to take in the whole counsel of God. Paul said, I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare from them the whole counsel of God in Acts 20, verse 27. It's good practice. I don't care how you do it. I don't care if it takes you 10 years. Just do it. Verse 14. In verse 14, we read, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. <laughs> I got a word for you, Moses. What's that? You're going to die very soon. Thanks, God. So call Joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle of meeting that I may inaugurate him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of meeting and the Lord appeared at the tabernacle in the pillar of the cloud. And the pillar of cloud stood above the door of the tabernacle and the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers and this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land where they go to be among them and they will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. And my anger shall be aroused against them in that day. I will forsake them. I will hide my face from them. And they shall be devoured. And many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Have not all these evil come upon us, because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day, because of all the evil which they have done, and that they have turned to other gods. So he inaugurates or commissions Joshua. They go up to the temple, and God appears. And when he appears, he basically predicts, God tells Moses, this prediction of the rebellion of the people. Now notice, we just had the promise that he will not leave us or forsake us, but now he says he will forsake them. But who forsakes first? Forsook? Fors forsook. That sounds better than forsake. Who started it? I told you the story. I know about the man and his wife who got married. And he had a pickup truck with a bench seat. I used to have one of those. Love that truck. And years go by. One day they're driving down the road and the woman is sitting on the right-hand side of the bench seat and she looks over at her husband and she goes, why don't we sit next to each other anymore? And the husband looks at her and said, I didn't move. When we feel far away from God, it's not because he's forsaken us. It's because we have forsaken him. I know I've said this before, but so often when I'm counseling folks, they'll start telling me, you know, they're, they're feeling run down, they're feeling worn out, they're feeling beat up, they're feeling like God isn't hearing their prayers, they're feeling like, you know, the, the whole weight of the world is on their shoulders. And so I start asking them questions. When's the last time you read your Bible? Well, you know, I, I'm trying, but... I don't always have time. How much time do you spend in prayer? Well, I, I always pray before meals. When's the last time you were in church? That one's fun. Because they can tell me they went to some other church, but they can't tell me they came here. And I go, well, that's a great start. Get back in the word. Spend time in prayer. Draw near to him. And the Bible promises he will draw near to us. Sometimes all we got to do is scoot back in. Verse 19. We're getting real close. That's fine. 
Now, therefore, write down this song for yourselves and teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths. This song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel when I have brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey, of which I swore to their fathers. And they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat. And they will turn to other gods and serve them. And they will provoke me and break my covenant. And it shall be when many evils and troubles have come upon them that this song will testify against them as a witness, for it will not be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants, for I know the inclination of their behavior today, even before I have brought them to the land of which I swore to give them. Therefore Moses wrote the song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. Um, we're going to get that song next week. The song of Moses is in chapter 32. The point of the song, very simply, he was to write a song that was to be a witness that when they broke the commands of God, this song would be a witness against them. So we're going to deal with that next week. Uh, the song is actually an acrostic in Hebrew. So it takes each letter of the Hebrew alphabet in order, uh, like A, B, C, D, E, F. You know, he wrote a song that was an acrostic. That's what they did. Psalm 19 is the same way, by the way, if you didn't know that. Um, but he goes on in verse 23. He inaugurates Joshua, the son of Nun. I didn't know nuns could have kids. Nobody laughed the last time I made that joke either. And just wait till we get to the book of Joshua. Oh, yeah, it's on. Be strong and of good courage, he says. For you shall bring the children of Israel into the land of which I swore to them, and I will be with you. Oh, such a beautiful promise. Verse 24. So it was when Moses had completed writing the words of the law in a book, when they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law, put it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, of the Lord, sorry, your God, that it may be there is a witness against you. For I know your rebellion and your stiff neck. If today, while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord, then how much more after my death gather to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their hearing and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death, you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you. And evil will befall you in the latter days because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. Now verse 30 belongs with chapter 32. But Moses commands that the book of the law be put in the Ark of the Covenant. He predicts the rebellion. And he says very simply, if you've rebelled while I'm here, how much worse is it going to be after I'm dead? And I can only imagine that must have been pretty difficult for Moses to know this. He knew that these were predictions, right? These were prophecies. Remember, early on we talked about in the book of Deuteronomy that Moses was putting down the mantle of lawgiver and taking up the mantle of prophet. So he knew these things would come to pass. He knew they would rebel. We get into Joshua. You know, they do okay in Joshua. They do pretty good at Jericho. Achan blows it at Ai. And then they do pretty good for a while until Joshua dies. Then we get into the book of Judges. And after Joshua dies, the nation just goes downhill real fast. Real fast. And, you know, so I can only imagine that Moses, this must have been hard for him. Must have been hard for him to know that um, after everything that had happened, after all that God had done, that they would rebel, and the result of it of them being cast out of the land that they were about to go in. So next week, we'll get into the Song of Moses, and we'll finish the book, 
the last chapter or two of the book, probably written by Joshua, uh, because especially the last chapter, Moses is dead. And I've never tried writing anything down when I'm dead. I imagine it's difficult. But we will, next week, have finished, Lord willing, and the crypt don't rise, one-seventh of the Bible. I don't know what that is percentage-wise. Is it 15%? 20% is one-fifth, so one-seventh, 12%? I don't know. One-seventh of the Bible. And, but we, we will finish the Pentateuch. And at that point in time, we get cake. You have sat through the last year and two months of... Well, I believe, I believe that Jesus' favorite cake is yellow cake with milk chocolate frosting. I believe this because it just so happens to be my favorite cake and we have similar taste. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It'll be up to, I'll let my daughter decide. She can bake whatever she wants. But until then, I just pray that each of us would have a blessed day and a blessed night. May the rest of our week be filled with the grace and glory and love of Christ. I pray that if there's anybody listening to this, whether it's now online or who hears it later, if you don't know Christ, choose life. Choose life that it might be well for you. I pray that God would help us to grow and mature in our relationship with him until each of us comes into the fullness of the image of Christ. May God bless you and work within each of us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.